Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Today on Parts Per Billion, we're going to be getting you ready for the big UN Climate Conference in Scotland later this month. What types of pledges will we see? Will this be a resurrection of the Paris Agreement? Will Greta Thunberg be there? And, least importantly for the planet, but most importantly for journalists, what's the food going to be like? Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. It's been a while since we've talked on this podcast about the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, a mouthful of an intergovernmental organization that's better known as COP. Partly that's because the COP summit schedule for last year got canceled due to COVID, but it was also because under the Trump administration, the U.S. really wasn't participating that much in this process. Famously, President Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement, by far the single biggest achievement to come out of the COP framework. Well, now we've got a new president, and he's actually a big fan of the Paris Agreement. Later this month, the 26th COP summit will kick off in Glasgow, Scotland, and Bloomberg News' Jess Shankleman will be there covering it. I spoke with her about how President Biden's complete 180-degree turn on the Paris Agreement will affect COP26, and also about exactly what COP is and how it got started. So the Conference of the Parties is a United Nations effort. The United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change was agreed in the early 90s. This year is a real kind of milestone year. The last big one we had was in Paris in 2015, when the agreement was signed between 197 countries to try and limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, striving for 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. It's a lot of, there's a lot of legal language in here. This is, is basically the COP negotiations themselves are lawyers in a room thrashing out the finer details on, you know, a country should do this or a country shall do this and whether that means they're legally bound to do this or that. But there's all this kind of jamboree around a COP as well. You know, we'll have businesses there declaring that they're really committed to tackling climate change. We'll have um, celebrities there as well, probably. And world leaders are going to turn up for the first two days. They're going to come straight from Rome from a G20 summit, which is going to be very focused on climate change and coal. What's really interesting about this COP is that five years ago in Paris, countries all said, right, OK, we'll agree these temperature targets. And what we'll do is we'll put forward a voluntary action plan on like how much we're prepared to do to meet that target. And we know that what we're going to put forward isn't going to be nearly enough to reach net zero emissions and reach those 
those temperature goals. So in five years' time, we'll come back with another upgraded target. These are called Nationally Determined Contributions, NDCs. So 20, end of 2020, they're all supposed to come back with these new NDCs. And not many have, and those that have, they're not that great. Some of them are better than others. Like the UK actually has quite a, a robust one. The US has come forward with a new one. Um, Russia has put forward one that is actually, you know, the same as the last one. Brazil's is worse than its last one as well. Then China hasn't even submitted one. India hasn't submitted one yet. Um, so that's a that's a kind of rough overview, basic overview, and we can get into more detail. <laughs> Well, well, we'll get into a little bit more about the Paris Agreement and how it's been going in a little bit. But first, I want to talk to you about the timing of this, because as you mentioned, last year's COP was canceled due to COVID. That means that this is the first uh, COP that's happened since uh, President Biden came into office in the U.S. What does that mean or what is the significance of that? Because, uh, you know, President Biden has a very different attitude toward this whole process than his predecessor, Donald Trump. Yeah, so uh, Joe Biden's attitude towards climate change is probably he's probably taken the most ambitious um, approach on climate of of any U.S. president, and and as you say, like you know, in, in stark contra- contrast to Trump as well. So he has rejoined the Paris Agreement. He has submitted a new NDC, and he has actually committed more money. Um, in climate finance, the US is way behind other rich countries in terms of how much it's it's giving in terms of like it's it's fair share, considering it's the world's largest economy really haven't hasn't given that much. Is that because uh, the US pulled out of the the Paris Agreement during the Trump administration? So Obama pledged um, a certain amount of money, which then they delivered some of it and Trump didn't deliver the rest. And then he also kind of defunded part of the UN FCCC. So there has been like, you know, while other European countries have been over the last four years increasing their pledges, the US, yeah, like didn't deliver what Obama said and then also didn't deliver anymore. So Biden's definitely playing catch up. And then you have questions around like just the way that the government's run. So he doubled the pledge in April and then he doubled it again in September, but he still has to get that through Congress. So he's kind of turning up with um, intention, but whether that trust is still there, you know, whether the countries really believe that he's going to be able to deliver on that, I think it remains to be seen. So let's talk about, again, you you alluded to this, uh, you know, how the Paris Agreement has been doing since it was uh, signed. You talked about how some countries, China, Brazil specifically, seem almost like they're backsliding um, and other countries are like Russia are stagnating. Do you think that this kind of I don't want to call it failure of the Paris Agreement because it's still there's a long way to go. But do you think that this disappointment of the Paris Agreement would have happened whether the U.S. had pulled out or not? Or do you think that this was a direct result of the U.S., you know, the world's largest economy pulling out of the agreement? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I know I remember when um, in 2016 I was at the Marrakesh COP and Trump had just been elected and I we we wanted to write this story about how this was really bad for climate change and we went around talking to all these NGOs and we were like oh this is terrible and they were like no it's it's going to be fine it's going to be fine and we couldn't write this story and it was driving me crazy and in the end I got um, Lord Nicholas Stern to say yes this is really bad news for the environment but you know NGOs tend to they were trying to put on a really positive spin but you know I think in a way they were right because what Trump did was really polemicize people's views on climate change and actually you've seen this huge surge in um in support for tackling climate change, particularly among young people, you know, these Fridays for Future school strikes, that kind of grassroots 
um, movement has really showed politicians that there is demand for this. But yes, as a result, you know, the Paris Agreement is nowhere near where it should be. So when I talk to um, government officials in the UK who are working on COP, um, they kind of say there's like a glass half full, glass half empty way of looking at this. So yes, the Paris Agreement has not delivered. We, In order to reach the goals, we need to halve emissions by 2030 compared to 1990 levels. And we are nowhere near that. We're on track for 2.6 degree temperature rise, which is effectively catastrophic climate change. But they say, well, the whole point of the Paris Agreement was it was set up to like tighten the screws and ratchet every five years. So, okay, this year we haven't got enough, but next year, five years later, we'll keep tightening our goals and delivering more money. And then the kind of momentum that comes from that, you know, like businesses see those signals and invest more. So it, it speeds up. They say that is working because when the Paris Agreement was signed, we were on track for well over three degrees rise. And now that's down to 2.6. And if China submits a more ambitious NDC, we could be getting closer to two. And then we kind of just need to get to well below two and 1.5. So... Um, yeah, I think I think the US pulling out is has been a big problem, but then there's just like all sorts of other geopolitical issues going on as well. Like the the US China relationship is in such a bad place. The pandemic has just like affected everything and even though people keep saying we should build back better, like countries are investing in more fossil fuels now than you know, than they have been for a long time. So um, yes, absolutely. The US pulling out is, has been bad, but it's 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 a it's a really difficult process. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. But it sounds like, based on that sort of glass half full view, it's uh, you know people are saying like, oh, if just if we can get some of these larger developing countries, although you know calling China a developing country is is a little bit ridiculous at this point. But well, that's that's a whole different debate. Like that's the whole kind of heart of the of the yeah. difficulties in the Paris Agreement. <laughs> China, I guess is it that you know China sees itself as a developing country, but it's really not. Is that is that and also the fact that China like sees itself as a champion for other developing countries. And I think the real sticking point at the moment is the emerging economies, the G twenty countries. So the G seven have all set actually quite quite strong net zero targets and. Um, and and quite strong NDCs and they've all collectively agreed to stop funding coal overseas not domestically but overseas and China has now agreed to that as well when they had the G G20 meeting in July they couldn't agree anything on coal this is the issue is that the rich countries are saying okay well we can 
yeah, we can commit to this because we can handle it. But then, you know, you've got countries like India that are completely reliant on coal for their econ economic growth. And they also say, we sh they say, we should measure emissions on a per person basis, because if you measured India's emissions on a per person basis, they'd be very low. But if you measure them on a country basis, they're like the third world's third biggest emitter. So it's the emerging economies is the real sticking point. And actually, Alok Sharma, the COP president yesterday, was really putting the pressure on G20 countries to come up with something quite strong at the meeting in Rome. Okay, um, before we wrap this up, I do want to touch on what you described as the jamboree uh, at, at the at COP. Uh, as you mentioned, there are often uh, very high government officials, politicians show up, activists, celebrities. What are we expecting for this uh, this one in Glasgow? Well, I would love to be able to answer that question. It's been so hard to work out what's going on with this one because of COVID. Um, everyone I've spoken to, you know, like people in embassies and big banks, they're like, we don't know. We're just going to have to make a decision at some point about who we're going to send. But yeah, the, the UK government has kept things really close to their chest because of not knowing where the restrictions are going to be. But what we do know is um, first two days are going to be a leader summit. So they're expecting about 100. They've said 120 world leaders have confirmed they're coming. Not it doesn't look like Xi Jinping is going to come because he does. He hasn't left China. He's not coming to the G20 and they're kind of all going on this little trip to Rome and then straight off to Glasgow. So if he's not coming to that, it, he's probably not going to the other one. Um, and that would be a real shame, I think, for kind of momentum. Um, and then uh, the second day is going to be a finance day because the theme of this whole COP is climate finance. So we're going to see a lot of banks um, and central bank governors sort of turning up and saying important things and hopefully making some commitments and hope, hopefully make it for for our sake hopefully making some news making some, yeah really hope that <laughs> i'm very worried that it's gonna be <laughs> gonna be a bit boring um really. so running throughout the two weeks you've got the negotiations where you've got lawyers for each country in rooms thrashing out details on things like how uh, something called article six which is to do to do with carbon trading it's all extremely technical and then outside of that, yeah, you, you we're going to probably have celebrities there as well and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'm expecting a lot of people not getting much sleep. I'm hoping the food is going to be good. I'm expecting, I was reading yesterday that we might be getting some snow as well, which is going to make things really tough. Yes, it does. Well, um, you know, first off, you know, stay warm and hopefully you get some good food. But let's let's sum it all up. Um you know, I think the the UN, uh, which uh, runs this process, has been criticized for being sort of too slow and too bureaucratic, given the sort of urgency of the threat. You've touched on this a little bit, uh, you know, that it's not necessarily in their control. They're dealing with like every country in the world. Um, do you think, though, there's some legitimate criticism to that, that, that the way this is run is not you know, really working? Or do you think that this is running as it's supposed to and as well as it could? I think you have to see the COP process as part of a wider effort to tackle climate change. I mean, this is multilateralism, right? You get 197 countries in the room and ultimately what you're going to agree is the lowest common denominator. So it is going to be very slow. Uh, and that's why, you know, there's sectoral agreements I was talking about earlier where you would have, for example, one day they might have the European Union and the US coming together and 
and making a pledge on methane. That's not something they can necessarily agree in the COP process because 197 countries aren't going to sign up to that. But what you're starting to see is countries emerging and saying, actually, like, you know, for example, China is now like, hang on, this is like a, this is somewhere where we can get a competitive advantage and we can lead on this rather than us feeling like we have to be dragged along to do stuff we don't want to do. So I think, um, I, I think that that criticism is legitimate, but it's, that's a criticism, I think, of the multilateral process as a whole. And it has its place because it's creating laws. Um, you know, the Paris Agreement is a legally binding requirement for countries. And so much has happened since 2015. Like, we didn't, no one was talking about net zero before 2015. Now you've got like every single company you can think of claiming they're going to be net zero, whether that's true or not, you know, <laughs> by 2040 or 2050. So it has massively changed the conversation and created momentum, but it is insanely frustrating. I'll give you that. Yeah, I hear you. All right. Well, uh, that was Jess Shankleman uh, getting ready for her journey north of Hadrian's Wall. Uh, <laughs> Jess, thank you so much uh, for uh, talking with us and have a great trip. Thanks, David. Bye. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment. I am at David B. Schultz, that's B as in bring warm clothing when you travel to Scotland. Today's episode of Parts Per Billing was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billing was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Rebecca Baker and Chuck McCutcheon. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.